The Almost Doctor was a legend of Greymoor that spawned back into the 1930s. Around the time of the alleged disappearances of several students, the school's doctor, Malcolm Wexley, prayed at the funerals, cried at the wakes, and listened to the choir's call for the morning of the dead. Wexley knew that the disappearances and discovered bodies were not just random occurrences, though. He caused them. And like always, they're always accepting admissions at Greymoor. Wexley came from a background that takes a fine-toothed comb to dissect. Not much in the archives tells about how he came to Greymoor. Most of what we can gather is that Wexley hid his Native American heritage. Born to a Native American father and a white mother, he was laughed at a lot during his younger years. This laughter would echo deep in his heart and mind, until one day, he did something about it. Wexley at night would wake past when the resident advisors had fallen asleep and sneak past them into the darkness. Taking the long road from the Oakhart Hall to the library in the south, Wexley would cling to the shadows. He would shy away from the gas lamps to avoid being seen. He locked picked the door upon arrival and crept to the top of the stairs. Dust would drench his coat and his lonely torch would keep him company. In the chasm of nothing surrounding him, Wexley believed there was a kind of truth to the legends that bore on the walls of Greymoor. He pulled off the shelf a book called Wasting Your Life Away by Marius Wexley, his grandfather. He kept the book at his apartment, but hid this particular copy in the wrong section to avoid it being checked out. The Dewey Decimal System always works in your favor if you want to be deceived, and Wexley would pour into this journal at night, into the wee hours of the morning. He was used to the all-nighters because of his studies in the medical field. Entries in it, upon my discovery would detail this. It was the late summer, and young Wexley would, was coming home in the rain. He would pull his coat up to avoid the wet jokesters poking fun at around him after leaving school. He crested the hill into the town, where the dirt revealed paint that held a racial slur about his parents being in an interracial relationship. His name was next to it. The word brought back memories of being bullied in the halls of the schoolhouses of his youth. He felt even more alone than he did back then, except this time, he wouldn't just walk away. Wex cringed and decided to get his revenge. Wex turned to face his bullies and muttered something under his breath. The boys who were laughing a few seconds ago instantly stopped. They cried out in pain when their limbs were bent in different directions than they should have been. Bones snapped and blood began to trickle down their ears and into their collars. Wexley muttered a little more loudly this time in a native tongue that no one recognized. Wex's eyes turned blood red, and he pushed with his hands out towards his tormentors. In the shade of the full moon, seven boys' bones snapped. Police the next day found them in pieces. Some were missing legs, others missing eyes and arms. It did not discriminate. However, the torsos remained intact. They all had one thing in common, though. Each torso was a letter that spelled revenge. No one knew who was responsible to this day. I recalled the story while I was fiddling around in the switchboard. I had scoured through the journal inside the lore section of the archives one night long ago. Now, 
I needed to get back to the library to support my theory. The only problem was I had to pick my battle. If I brought in Megan on this one, I didn't know how much she would believe me. She was an advanced EMT and highly rational. How would she? No, how could she believe that this was the only reason for all this happening? I kept picking my brain for over an hour. Zero, two hundred hours. Damn, it's time for the radio and time check. GWW912, I said. Radio and time check at zero, two hundred hours. Unit four. Unit eleven. Unit seventeen. Holy shit, I thought to myself. Rico is in tonight? Twenty. I grabbed the microphone and dug in a little bit. Copy that. All units clear at zero two hundred hours. I definitely had to imitate Shannon on that one. And still, no word from Casey. Casey was one of the officers who trained me during the early days at Graymore. She was an emergency medical responder who was getting her master's, had a family, and was as connected to the students as I was. The students in their infinite wisdom knew that all of the officers on campus were all right, but they could trust that Casey and I were going to be fair and balanced. A lot of stuff went unspoken, though, but things we had to mandate report on didn't. It just depended on the situation. We had to use our discretion, and we had to make the right situation in the right call. She was a short, blonde girl, about 5'6", and had a fierce personality. Under it all, though, she was kind and sweet. The buck stopped at Casey's feet. That's why her disappearance was so sudden and off. Casey was always on her toes and took her breaks at the same time every night. I rubbed my eyes intently. How am I going to help Casey get out of the shit? Looking deep into my computer screen, I began to think about who I could use to get into the library. Tom was a big no. I couldn't leave the switchboard as it was, let alone trying to get Tom to go off of my insane idea that these happenings connected to the almost doctor. It was the only thing that made sense, though. But I didn't want Tom in on my idea, either. Karen, as well. If Karen knew, she would tell Tom. And that made it a bad scene. Casey wouldn't have believed my ghost ideas, but she would have gotten us in somehow down in the archives. And Megan was still the closest option. I didn't even consider Rico either because he wouldn't have cared. It wasn't in his purview to dabble in ghosts and shadows on the walls. I closed my eyes in exacerbation as the door opened. It was Locklear, looking for a campo officer. I couldn't help but laugh, though, at his lumberjack-style appearance in the small doorway. Yeah, man, what do you want? I, uh, I gotta talk to you, dude. I looked at him in a quizzical look as I unlocked the door. Please don't tell me it's about... Yeah. It is. I could feel the vomit rising in the back of my throat as Locke sat down and tears welled up in his eyes. Good evening, one and all, from the height of the Greymore Tower. I am Dylan Derringer here, trying to get a grasp with what's been going on in the past couple of days around our beloved town and school. Casey Elton, campo officer in her own right, was reported missing. 
Officer Hilton has served the Greymoor community for the past two years. I'm sure you've seen her around. If not, please call the number on the back of your door for a description. If any information about her last whereabouts or location arise, please contact Campo. In other news, the Greymoor geese have risen above the rest in the area of football. The marching band director, as well as the coaches, are excited to take the show on the road to tackle the Wigan Warriors next Saturday. Comment from Coach Vaughn Bruckman is as follows. The geese are going to take this title, whether we have to die trying or not. I, I can vouch for the boys that we want to bring the big W home for our trophy case. It's past time that the geese got the title. It, it's going to happen. What a swell fella, and what a charge! Good luck, geese! May you find your true north and win the title. The weather tonight will be overcast with a side of uneasy. Just look at your school lunch menu. Oh, my apologies for the misread. Just like your school lunch menu has been for the time you've been here. Highs in the upper 50s. Grab a coat. Don't let the night air chill you to the bone when you head down for the evening party at the Armacrin house. It's going to be an outdoor, fenced-off romper at the Blue House, except the armies except, expect the armies to crack a keg and have you break a leg on the dance floor. The school lunch for tomorrow will be haggis a la mode. The mode being blood of the sheep it came from. Chefs tell me to tell you that if you want blood-free, there will be a separate line for blood-free haggis on the side of mixed vegetables. What a great cafe we pay for here at the college. Without further ado, that concludes the night's broadcast. This has been Dylan Derringer from the height of the Greymore Tower. We're always accepting admissions at Greymore's hit station, WGSO. I let Dylan fade out in my ears as I looked at Locke. Thorne couldn't have gone off by himself to tackle this, I said sadly. He knows he shouldn't get involved in Casey's shit. Yeah, I told him, Locke said in a sigh. He, he still loves her, man. This is some bad shit, I said with a sigh. I, I, I can't just have you guys trek after me into the library. Things are too bad. Too bad? Locke said, tears streaming down his face. She's out there alone without anyone to help her. And you want me to just wait here? Locke, Locke stop. I said, th th this is not how this goes down. As we were discussing the possibilities of different plans, Tom came into the office. Resin, I need to see you upstairs in the office. Wait here, man. I told Locke. I ascended the stairs to Tom's office. It was located on the opposite side of the entrance and overlooked the moon's loft. We need to find Casey. I know, dude. It, it's pretty bad that one of our own is gone, which is why I need you to go south. I don't have the experience? Yeah. You know, though, that it, what it's been doing, the, the patterns. I shook my head slightly. I, I can't expect to track this thing. Why not? Resin, you're either going to step up in this job or get the hell out. We have some students, something killing students on the loose, and I'm not going to lose one more student or you to whatever the hell it is. I recoiled. I, I get it. K Casey's missing, and we need to get that straightened up as quickly as possible. Y you don't need to take it out on us, though, man. I got up, and I turned to Tom. I'm going to head south. It's time I get out of the north. 
You're right. It needs to happen. He nodded then. I need you to find this one for me, Resin. You'll earn your keep, and no one will mess with you then. I nodded and headed out the door. It was in that moment, though, that I found the familiar path of the boardwalk heading southbound to the chapel. To clue you in, though, south can be a little confusing to understand. I'll do my best to paint a good picture for you. Sorry for the change in atmosphere. As far as the sound goes, I had to stop my recording and had to go walk the dogs, as you can tell. In addition to that, I uh, had to put on some dinner for the wife before uh, she got home. Amy can be a little bit crazy at times if she doesn't eat right. So anyway, back to south. The south boardwalk has the chapel in the dead center. From there, it cuts through the middle of the entirety of the south campus to divide a circle of buildings surrounded by woods in the cliff face. Going clockwise from the chapel, you had the dining hall, also known as St. Clair Hall, and the Graymore Tower atop the hall. It stood up in the center like a beacon in the night. Dylan's home and dorm gave the first impressions of the south. Next to it, there was the Higgins Hall, Troy Hall, Black Hall, and the Welch Hall. These were the science halls and the history building. Welch Hall was at the top of the clock, on the edge of the cliff. It was the oldest building on the campus, and rightly held the point. Another time from now, I'll detail the stories about how students go there when they don't want to be found again. We'll end up catching them at the base of the net, but it can be a pain. To the right of Welch Hall, a tall looming building nestled itself on the remaining trees of the South Campus. This was known as Rigor Mortis Hall, a nickname obviously, after Tigger Bortis. Tigger Bortis was the leader of the expedition that found Greymore in the early 20th century. Tigger wrote a book about the discovery and it became an international acclaim. Of course, it needed a name more fitting than the Norse one it had been for ages. To its right, there was the last hall before the meeting grounds. We had the Norse Hall of Odin's Deep. Odin's Deep was the library as we knew it. It was a decent-sized library with the best vinyl to pick from. I often perused the sections in the wee hours of the night of the morning, between my archive benches. Odin's Deep had its own tiny version of the Moon's Loft if people did not want to go all the way up north, if they did not desire to. These buildings were connected by their own paths, which ultimately rounded back to the chapel. It was technically known as Gregory's Chapel, but everyone just called it the chapel. I walked through the chapel doors, and it was completely ornate, with the deepest set of stained glass and hardy beams of oak. The oak beams formed a rotunda above the platforms of worship. Candles were in spots on the wall, surrounded by stone, to limit fire as much as possible, despite being a slight fear that it would truly happen. It echoed slightly, but I couldn't seem to shake the feeling that something else was in the room with me. I stepped up to the altar and prayed quickly. I kept looking over my shoulder as I enjoyed the little bits of peace that I thought I had left. A loud bang came from the door just then. I turned to the sound with my breath in my throat ready to yell. It was just the wind, picking up in the night, pulling the loose door open and closed slowly, with the intermittent slam. I released my breath and turned away from the door. A gust of wind sifted through the aisles 
I was in, sending a chill up my spine. I turned with the direction of the wind to look back at the alder, and suddenly I heard the whimper. Usually I would run to it and help without a second's hesitation. This time, though, I just called out in fear. Hello? I said timidly. I heard the floorboards in the side room creak in response. Someone was there indeed. Please come out. I'm not in the mood for this tonight. I've got a really bad headache, and the night is just starting. Please. The room's air was immediately stale. Come on, dude. A pair of circles illuminated just then in the light, contrasting the void of the side room. There you are, I almost laughed. The circles moved up and down my body, then back to their original position, as if they were trying to look me over. Resin. The voice croaked. Oh, shit, I said. I've been waiting for you, Resin. The voice wheezed in a crackling tone through the lumps in its throat. I've needed someone of your stature. Where's Casey? I said with fear in my own voice. I know you have her. She's down in the mines. I've made sure that she is safe before her transformation. It said, The almost doctor, banished to the shadows, I said, finally finding and piecing together the speaker of the church. This is sacred ground. You shouldn't even be here. It growled. I am here. I've become a part of Greymore, just like you will be. I'm going to start with your limbs and work my way to your soul. In the series of exits that appeared in the chapel, a couple of hollow eyes floating in the air. My throat went immediately dry. You can't escape now. Soon your spine will be mine. I noted how difficult it was for it to speak. What are you building with all these parts? I said, regaining composure. This isn't just some typical thing you're doing, yeah? This is some kind of Frankenstein. It's not Frankenstein. It growled. You're missing the point. I sought revenge of the people who made fun of me. Countless years of writing in a diary. For what? Some paper in a dusty tomb? No. There's only one way to get true revenge, and that is helplessness. I felt my jaw drop to the floor. The kids, I said. They're the ones, the hollow eyes. As he said that, the creatures floated in, truly sealing off the doors. I glanced around the room, noting if I was truly blocked in, or if it just looked bleak. And it looked pretty bleak. I should have realized when I read the journal in the archives that it was you all along. I just thought it was a story made up, like the ones the other officers tell the first years on Halloween. I kept rotating in a circle to make sure I didn't lose sight of the hollow eyes. Their pinpoint pupils quivered back and forth, trying to assess my weak points in my defense and my spine. 
The almost doctor's eyes shifted as well to its children in the chapel. You can end this, you know. Give yourself to me. I'll make you the best hallow eyes yet. I can make you my second in command. A hand protruded from the darkness of the side room. Flesh flayed off the bone. With a rattle of its fingers, the hollow eyes averted their gaze and remained motionless. I could give you the key to Greymore's domain if you just accept me. I felt the depth of my pocket and looked up. I grinned at the bone hand and scoffed. You kind of don't know me that well then, bud. It hobbled into the light and stared at me with its marble eyes. The almost doctor, from head to toe, was sealed together. The toes were glued on, the legs barely able to hold the torso. It was as if a meat scarecrow had decided it wanted to move one day. When it shifted into the light, I reeled both at the stench and at the sight of such a hideous creature, as meat began to drip on the floor in tiny droplets. You've been piecing yourself together then, piece by piece, student by student. You wanted to make sure that you could finally function again. Precisely. My father knew the spell once from an ancient story long ago. He copied it into my father's book. Well, his father's book. The library, I thought. This could all end now. And I learned from it. I believed in it truly. And here we are now, Rezin. Casey will add a nice set of hands to my form. Your spine will strengthen me. Soon... I'll make all of Greymore to hollow eyes and control the school. But why control the school? I slipped my hands into my pockets. Funny you should ask. That's for a time after your spine is mine. I locked eyes with my captor and smiled. Not gonna happen. In a winding blur, I threw whatever salt and iron was left in my pockets at the monster. The epoxy of the glue came undone, and it started to molt into the carpet and floorboards. It screamed a hideous tune as the hollow eyes descended upon me. I ducked out of their way, barely making it down the pews and out at the southeast door. The howls coming from inside the chapel radiated into the night. As I rounded the building and made my way up the gas lamp path toward Nightshade Hall, my footsteps reverberated off the path, and out of the corner of my eye, I could notice the girl from the moon's loft staring out the window. Thanks for joining us this week for the new episode of Graymore, The Almost Doctor. If you like Graymore, please share it on Facebook, Twitter, or other social media outlets. This podcast has been powered by Pinecast. And also, like I said, we have uh, information on Twitter and Facebook. So if you want to follow us on Facebook, be sure to type in the search bar, Graymore Podcast, and it should come up with the logo. Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter, be sure to use the at symbol for Graymore Cast. It's all lowercase. You can't miss it. Um, hopefully in the off week, Dylan will make an appearance with some kind of you know, little message here and there. Um, but we'll see what we can do. If you want to uh, have questions, you know, talk about the show, maybe even be a voice. Just email me, Joseph Byers, at J-O-S, the letter R, B-Y-E-R-S at gmail.com and we'll get back to you shortly. 
And with that, I will leave you uh, for your week. See you in two weeks. And remember, we're always accepting admissions at Graymore.